equal number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony um, to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold, um, excuse me, of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, Levite, native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, as we've briefly observed, um, the life of the early church. Um, there's so much in it that um, th that looks like our church, and we're thankful for the work you've been doing in our church. Um, but there's also so much of it that we know that we are striving towards. And so, God, just as they were of one heart and one soul. Um, help us to be united and to have a singular vision as a church father just as they had everything in common may god we may, may, may we have everything in common as a church and just as they ministered with great power um, that brought about great grace as we seek to make you known in the city of San Diego, God, may we experience great grace. May we see you um, save. Um, may, you, may we see you redeem. May we see you powerfully change lives. And God, um, it's just incredible to see how they lived and how they loved and cared for one another. And so may you help us um, as a church to be able to um, live out um your gospel um in jesus name we pray amen amen all right let's look at verse 32 again to begin with it says now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own but they had everything in common. Um, that verse should be familiar to you. And the reason why it should be familiar to you is because um, back in chapter 2, um, end of chapter 2, we looked at how uh, the church were united in their devotion um, to the spiritual disciplines of prayer, uh, reading of scripture fellowship and then chapter 2 went on to talk about how they loved and cared and served one another and so uh, fast forward to chapter 4 
what this is doing is that it's showing us that they have been consistent in loving and serving one another but they've also been consistent and in being united and having one singular vision um, ever since Jesus made his way back up to heaven um, ever since the coming of the Holy Spirit ever since Peter began to boldly proclaim the significance um, of Jesus for healing and salvation the early church exploded experiencing a crazy amount of growth with thousands of people subscribing to the church within a few weeks of its launch um, the kind of growth they experienced growth that they experienced has to be one of the fastest growing movements of all time another awesome thing about the early church was how diverse it was if you remember back in um, chapter 1 and chapter 2 um, it talks about um, the diversity that was represented in Jerusalem at the time when the Holy Spirit came and so thousands of people get saved and so it's possible um, that the church at this time there was about 5,000 people okay the church just exploded so much growth 5,000 people at this point and it was made up of people from all over the world with all sorts of cultural customs, languages and dress. This kind of numerical growth because of the gospel is amazing to witness. And we've witnessed it in our time where God does a unique work in the life of a church and the church explodes with many people responding to the gospel and being saved and being baptized and as a church that is um we're you know two years old we've seen god add to our numbers i remember when we first started there was you know four of us um john amos and a few others you guys remember and then god just started to really add to the church to where we're at now and so we've seen numerical growth and it's been amazing to see god grow our church numerically but um growth of any kind can often lead to this unity um, when thousands hundreds or thousands of people from different backgrounds come together for a common cause this unity is not far off and this truth has been evident for us to all see during this global pandemic um, when world leaders declared a national emergency um, early on in march there was an initial coming together and a uniting um, of us all we united to fight against this pandemic but after a month or two um, this unity is beginning to emerge if you've noticed for example some people want the stay at home order to um, be extended others disagree and they have been supportive of anti-lockdown protests and so um, whenever a lot of people come together around a common goal this unity is expected and right now in our nation in our world there's a good amount of disunity amongst leaders and governors and um, <laughs> people in high places as to how should we address this and when should we reopen again and all of that and so we are seeing 
evidence of disunity happening now. Not so um, with the early church in Jerusalem. Um, ever since the church began, there has been unity. We're told in verse 32 that they were what? They were of one heart and soul. It also tells us um, at the conclusion of verse 32 that they had everything in common. They were of one heart and one soul and they had everything in common. Um, author and Bible scholar Clinton Arnold says this. He says they confess a common Lord, spend much time together, share with one another and participate in a common vision and purpose. They, that is the church, the early church in Jerusalem at the time, possessed a united mindset. All right. And so the question is, what were some of the things that brought them together? What were the, some of the things that they were united around? For sure, they were united around one faith. They shared one faith as believers of the risen Christ. We know that for sure. They also shared one identity as a family of Jesus followers. They also shared one mission. They were witnesses of the risen Christ. And now, because of their unity in faith, because of their unity um, in value and mission and identity, they were united in their pursuit of radical generosity. Let's reread verse 32 again to discover this. Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own but they had everything in common because of their unity around faith the early church were united in their pursuit of radical generosity they lived with a mindset that said what is mine is yours. That is, none of them claimed any of their possessions belonged to them alone. In the face of simmering persecution that threatened their lives, right? I say that because you remember last week we looked at how uh, the, 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 the powers that be, the religious authorities have had threatened um, to to persecute them and to put them to death if they continued to preach and um, um, share Jesus with people. And so in the face of persecution, people from all over the world had been joined together in Christ with a shared vision for radical generosity. They didn't hoard their possessions for their own benefit, but they were willing to share the ownership of their possessions with the community. Look at verse 34 and 35. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. This radical 
lifestyle of generosity was displayed by wealthy members of the church as well. Similar to our time in the first century, real estate was one of the best um, ways to accumulate wealth. And most of the wealthy people owned land. The more land you owned, the wealthier you were. But wealthy members of the church were more concerned with meeting the needs of others than building their portfolios and accumulating more wealth for themselves. Some of them actually sold properties and gave the money from the sales to the apostles so they could provide for the needs of the needy. Again, Clinton Arnold said, he says, no longer are they motivated to amass wealth for themselves but they now view what they have as resources for the cause of Christ and the care of his people. It was, I mean, an incredible movement of generosity. Imagine being there um, when this movement kicked off. Thousands of people have just um, decided to follow Jesus and to live for Jesus they are under um, extreme opposition, um, but then they, they just continue to live together and gather together and pray and um, read scripture. But they're not only engaged in spiritual disciplines, they're also engaged in caring and loving for one another. What an incredible movement of generosity. Um, wealthy members of the early church provided funds from the sale of some of their properties and the apostles provided oversight for the distribution of the resources among the needy right and so you you, you know you saw it um, when it says they sold their property and brought the money and put it at the apostles feet and they were just they had some organization as well um, the apostles were the leaders and they were trusted with the funds, with the money, um, to be able to distribute it to anyone who had a genuine need. After, um, I, I, I would actually, Ross Ramsey, who I love so much, this is how he puts it. He says, God tightened their hold on each other as he loosened their grip on their possessions. Um, such a really good way to put it. God tightened their hold on each other as he loosened their grip on their possessions. That is basically what was happening. And so after we're given a brief description of the ways the church showed radical generosity, we're given an example. Luke, who is the author of this historical narrative about the birth um, and the impact and the spread of the church he wants to do this he's not only just described what it was like he wants to put flesh and blood on what he's been describing and so um, in verse 36 he, um, he he talks about one of the members of the church who modeled this spirit of generosity and it was a man named Barnabas. Look at verse 36. It says, thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, 
a Levi, a native of Cyprus. Stop right there. Um, if you've been a Christian for a while, chances are you're familiar with the name Barnabas. You can't forget the name Barnabas. It's, <laughs> it's a very unique name, so it stands out, Barnabas. Um, he's introduced for the first time here in Acts, but it will not be the last time we hear about him. In fact, he will become one of the most mentioned individuals in the book of Acts. His real name is Joseph, but he was given the nickname Barnabas, which is translated as son of encouragement or son of exhortation. It was his nickname. And, uh, you know, most of you know what nicknames are. They're normally based on someone's personality or um, an achievement or something that they've done. I grew up in the city of London and I grew up in a neighborhood that had um, several gangs operating in that neighborhood. And um, I remember hearing about the names of some of the gang members. Um, you know, one of them that was the most feared gang member was called Maniac. <laughs> you know, just Maniac. You hear that name and you're like, oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm not getting. I'm not getting nowhere close to maniac. Um, one of them was called Romeo. Okay, he was called Romeo because he was good looking, and you know he he got all the girls and everything. And so that's what nicknames are based for. They they're based on someone's character or something they've achieved. Like maniac, we don't know what he achieved, but we get an idea of what he achieved with that name. And so that's what nicknames are for. And so uh, that's kind of what's happening here. Barnabas. They named him that because he saw that he was a man who was encouraging and who would exhort people. And so this means he was a source of strength for the people around him. He believed in God's goodness and power in the face of their dangerous circumstances. And that is why they named him Barnabas. And so the question is, why is Barnabas brought up um, as an example? of radical generosity. Look at verse 37. So Barnabas, what he did was he sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Barnabas owned a piece of land and as he was stirred by the needs around him, what he did was he put his house on the market, it quickly sold, and he ended up giving all the money to the apostles so they could use it to care for the needy. What a great example of um, radical generosity. And I love how Luke, the author, has not only just described it, but he's given us um, kind of a real life example of someone who was generous in a radical way and his name was Barnabas and he became a key leader in the church. His radical generosity served as a model for other believers. Now, as we read this description of the early church, it may bear, for some of you, some resemblance to the communes um, the hippie communes most of us know about, you know, where a group of people um, who are normally free-loving, free-spirited, you know, they love nature and all of that, um, and what they do is they decide to, you know, live together and share properties, possessions, resources, and everything they own. 
Um, and so this description of the early church may resemble a commune, um, but it's very different. It's very different. Um, author Eckhard Schnabel said that when thinking about the shared ownership of possessions by the early church in Jerusalem, we should not compare them with communes, but we should think of this way of living as, listen to what he says, private ownership of possessions linked with communal use of possessions. In other words, what is mine is yours did not mean it no longer belongs to me. It still belongs to me, but I willingly choose to share it with you whenever there is a genuine need. Clinton Arnold again says their commitment to Jesus and the work of the Spirit produced in them a completely new attitude to their property. And this radical display of generosity was why the beginning of verse 34 says there was not a needy person among them. If you look at verse 34 again, it begins by saying, you know, with all the generosity being on display, there was not a needy person among them. The basic needs of everyday life of each member of the church was met by the radical generosity of members of the church. King's Cross Church has been alive for almost three, two and a half years now. And one of the things I have enjoyed, I have enjoyed so much. I've just enjoyed seeing God actually fulfill his promises to not only establish a church, but sustain it just seen incredible things but one thing that stands out to me um, um, is seeing our church function as a family and um, when COVID-19 began to devour our economy because you guys remember early on it was a health issue uh, for the world but then eventually it started to make a huge impact on the economy and when that started happening as a church uh, we, we met with our leaders and we established we decided to establish a benevolence fund to 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 help those who may be directly impacted and as we've done that we've been blessed to see Sorry about the technical difficulty. We're getting there. <laughs> it happens in real life church as well, by the way, doesn't it? In analog church when we're together and, you know, there's always disruptions. And so when disruptions happen on Zoom, just go, oh, this happens in real life as well. Moving on. And so, as I was saying, when COVID hit, we established a fund for um, benevolence to help those who may be directly impacted. And We've been blessed to see many of you contribute to this fund through your faithful giving, whether it was in the past, if you've been given, and in the present as well. We had several people contact us um, and say, hey, we've heard about this fund and I want to contribute specifically to it. And so 
you just want to say like and this is not the only example um so many examples of generosity in our church our community groups um, have been able to fundraise for members of our church who've been in need i heard a community group one of our community groups raise money to help a family um, pay for car repairs we've um, come together and brought money together in order to help people pay medical expenses uh, when eleanor and i had to move back to the uk just we were incredibly blessed not just by your presence but by your financial support and we just had people hand us a check once in and just just these little things and it's been amazing to see how we have possessed this attitude and mindset of radical generosity and when i talk about this all right it just I mean, even when I was studying this, you know, this passage, I was very much like, oh, okay, yeah, great. This is good. We're, you know, we're, we're coming together and sharing and this has been good and I've seen it, uh, you know, in the life of King's Cross Church, this level of generosity. I've seen, you know, and I kind of was very much, oh, great. This is fantastic. But uh, as I thought and prayed about what was happening then, and how I've seen it mirrored in the life of King's Cross Church, I was incredibly blown away by God's grace at work. This sort of thing really happens, okay? Where Jesus brings us together in a city like San Diego, in the generation we're in, brings a group of people over from all different backgrounds, and we start to seek ways to help and care and love for one another. It's been amazing for us to witness. And what I want to say is when we witness um, radical generosity in our church, let's pause and thank God for being gracious in us to allow to, to being gracious enough to allow us to witness his spirit at work because when things like this happen it doesn't come from our own desires or wants it's the work of the spirit and one of the key things that um that displays the spirit at work in our lives is when it comes to radical generosity it, it, it we, we're not having to do it we want to do it it's something we want to do we have this attitude and willingness to want to love and serve one another and that is special that is unique and that is the that is god at work in and through all of our lives and so praise god praise god for what he's been doing and so that's what's been happening and um, you know, I just had a few questions about, you know, if if you're currently not giving or don't know how to give, uh, consider giving to the local church. Don't just give. But if you want more information or want to know why it's important to give to the local church, come and see me. Let's have a Zoom meeting and I'd love to help you understand 
why it's important to give to the local church. And if you're already giving it and you're already showing generosity, um, that's awesome. But let me challenge you to be generous in a radical way. And so what would it look like for you to be generous in a radical way? So far, we've been looking at radical generosity and how the early church was committed to this way of living. Beautiful picture of what happens when a church family is united in meeting the practical needs of others. Now, let's look back at verse 33. Verse 33 says this, and with great power, the apostles were given their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. With all the talk focused on providing for the needs of members of the church, this verse has a different focus. Our passage for today began by describing the united pursuit of radical generosity displayed by the early church in verse 32. Then the following verse 33 takes a detour and talks a little bit about how they shared the gospel with great power. And then our passage goes back to talking about radical generosity from verse 34 onwards using Barnabas as an example. So if you read this section of Acts from start to finish, you'll notice something. You'll notice that verse 33 is kind of a detour. Um, it's a bit of a disruption from the original emphasis. Okay, um, it, it has nothing to do with meeting the needs of believers within the church, but it's all about sharing the gospel with non-believers outside the church. And you notice it, we're reading, we start reading about generosity within the church, and then 33, it's like, oh, they were sharing the gospel with great power, and then it comes back to the whole generosity within the church thing. And so... Uh, that's what's happening here. And so verse 33 is talking about mission, right? And it's sandwiched between community. This is what I mean. This one verse is included to remind us that although there was an incredible amount of love and care on display among the early church in Jerusalem... The mission continued. Even though it's brief, we must not ignore the importance of this particular verse. Why? Because, this is why, there's always going to be a tendency for churches, especially churches of our size and style, to become so inward focused, we ignore the great spiritual needs around us. It's possible to become lopsided as a church. It's possible for us to become an introverted church where there is an excessive 
inward focus on community that weakens the needed focus on mission. That is why this verse on how the church continued to share the gospel is included in a section that mostly talks about how the church provided for the practical needs of those in need. And as a church in San Diego in the 21st century, it will be of great benefit for us to learn from the early church in first century. And that is for us as a church to not only have a united pursuit of radical generosity, but also a united pursuit of continued mission. One author said it this way. Maintenance of the group was not the primary consideration. Above all, this was a witnessing community and for this reason they enjoyed much grace from the Lord. This detour in the iterate reminds us of the need to remain on mission because community life is not an end in itself. As I said, and you guys have witnessed this, one of the strengths of our church is community. When people visit our church and when people are exploring King's Cross to be part of our church community, one thing they always say is how warm and welcoming we are. And as I said earlier, I have been blessed absolutely to witness radical generosity in our life where we are loving and caring for one another but we must not stop there we must continue to love and care for one another like we have been but not at the expense of continued mission in fact sharing the gospel should make us care for one another better. That's why in verse 33, after it talks about their continued mission, it goes on to say that great grace was upon them all. What this means is that the more we share, the more we'll see God's grace at work. And the more we see God's grace at work, the more we'll experience God's grace together as a church family. Mission feeds the flame of our love for one another. We're a culture that is educated, healthy, peace-loving citizens, and we live comfortable lives. We really do. And many of us have come to believe that the occasional darkness into our comfortable lives like COVID-19 is not the norm. Um, Tony Payne says this about what I just said. He says, the daily immersive exposure to this view of the world often changes our perception of how broken and needy our world is. It's like the dimmer switch is turned up the darkness doesn't seem so dark and people don't seem so lost in it. So what he's talking about is a mindset 
And this mindset has several effects and consequences for our Christian lives. But perhaps the most drastic is how much it saps the urgency out of making new disciples of Christ. We can be consumed and be comfortable in our week-to-week church activities where we are content with just helping each other grow as disciples of Jesus, where we're just content with um, loving and meeting the practical needs of each other. We can get so consumed with this, we are not moved by the world around us continuing on its way to hell. William Booth of the Salvation Army, founder of the Salvation Army, um, he has um, a famous and shocking um, kind of, um, how do I put it, allegory he wrote. It's called A Vision of the Lost. And um, I'm just going to read it. It's a bit lengthy, and so if you need to stretch yourself out, stretch yourself out, sit up a little. But I want you to really listen to how he describes um, the, what we can begin to get, what we can, um, what was I going to, I can't remember what I was going to say. But anyway, I'm going to read it. It says, I saw a dark and stormy ocean. In that ocean, I thought I saw myriads of poor human beings plunging and floating, shouting and shrieking, cursing and struggling and drowning. And as they cursed and screamed, they rose and shrieked again, and then some sank to rise no more. And I I saw out of this dark, angry ocean, a mighty rock that rose up with its summit towering high above the black clouds that overhung the stormy sea. And all around the base of this great rock, I saw a vast platform. On to this platform, I saw with delight a number of the poor struggling, drowning wretches continually climbing out of the angry ocean. And I saw that a few of those who were already safe on the platform were helping the poor creatures still in the angry waters to reach the place of safety. As I looked on, I saw that the occupants of that platform were quite a mixed company. That is, they were divided into different sets or classes and they occupied themselves with different pleasures and enjoyments. But only a very few of them seemed to make it their business to get the people out of the sea, though all had been rescued at one time or another from the ocean, nearly everyone seemed to have forgotten all about it. These people did not seem to have any care, that is, any agonising care about the poor perishing ones who were struggling and drowning before their eyes. Um, If you want to read the entire allegory, it's called A Vision of the Lost by William Booth. But in it, he's basically um, using an allegory to explain the the tendency um, or the likelihood 
for us who are saved to get consumed and comfortable just being involved in church activities and loving and serving one another, which is absolutely amazing. But we don't want to be consumed by it at the expense of the mission field God has us in. And so King's Cross Church, because of God's selfless and radical generosity towards us in his son, Jesus Christ, may we continue to show radical acts of generosity towards one another. And as we do, may we continue to share the hope of the gospel with a world drowning in hopelessness. May we be a church that is not only radical in our love and generosity towards each other, but may we be a church that is engaged in the mission to share the hope of the gospel with a dying world. Let's pray. God, you are good. And every day as we wake and are reminded of your goodness, may we desire um, to extend and share that grace with the people around us. God, thank you for how you have birthed and sustained um, King's Cross Church um, in these last two and a half years. Thank you for helping us continue to go strong uh, under the difficulty of this global pandemic. Thank you for how you have even in, in these strange times with so many restrictions, how you have given us, empowered us to love and care and serve one another. Thank you for providing for our church so that we can provide for those in need. God, as we have an inward focus that is strong, may we be even stronger in our mission on being on being on mission with you there are so many people out there um, that are drowning in the angry ocean as um, was described in the allegory we read and i just pray that we would be aware um, of the lost people out there and that you would give us uh, a passion for your name to make you known to the many people that we come across god thank you for uh, allowing some of us to even share our testimonies online and we um, want to see fruit and we hope we see fruit but we will continue to be on mission because that's what you've called us to um, as well as um, loving and caring for one another thank you in jesus name amen